Good morning. How are you guys doing today? My name is Dahadi Lewis. I'm one of the pastors here at Blueprint Church. And I'm, taking, I'm going to take a start off with a survey. And I'm going to ask a couple of you, some of you guys, a, a couple of questions. Here's the question. Have you ever come to a place in your spiritual life where you know for certain that if you were to die today, you would stand before God? So... Have you ever come to the place in your spiritual life where you know for certain that if you were to die today, that you would go to heaven? That's the first question. The second question is this. Suppose you were to die today and stand before a holy and a perfect God, and he were to say to you, why? Why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Those two questions right there are two questions that, I, that I've t- took literally um, as I go around and I share the, share the gospel. I go up to random strangers, I go up to different people, people on airplanes, different things, and I'll just ask those questions. Those are two diagnostic questions. And then in those questions, basically, I also um, ask the question after some conversation. I said, do you think you can know for certain that you can have eternal life? And we get a chance to dialogue and ask. Now, let me ask you this question. If I were to say, hey, you guys, Starting this week, for the next three weeks, we're going to um, go out every single day and we're going to ask people in this neighborhood those two questions. How many of you guys would sign up for that program? All right, we got a few, a good percentage of it. But if survey says right, basically what we just saw, only a few percentage of us is right because the um, survey has told us that 95% of evangelicals never intend on ever sharing their faith. They never intend on sharing their faith. And there's lots of different reasons of why we don't share our faith. But this is, these, are, these stats are both saddening and they're humbling. And today we're going to talk about and continue in this series about the practice and seeing this concept of sharing our faith or sharing the gospel as a spiritual discipline. Before I go, I'm going to give you a funny but compelling and convicting little narrative about this thing that was going to evangelicals called a plea for fishing. Some of you guys have heard this before, but I think it's apropos for what we're talking about today. It says this, it's it's called a plea for fishing, and this was written over 50 years ago. Now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. Now, there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish. And the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, year after year, they called themselves fishermen, met in meetings, and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish and how they might go about fishing. Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means, defended fishing as an occupation, declared that fishing is always to be the primary task of fishermen. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. One thing they didn't do, however, they didn't fish. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and sent to fish, but like the fishermen back home, they never fished. Like the fishermen back home, they engaged in all kinds of other occupations. They built power plants to pump water to fish and tractors to plow new waterways. Others felt that their job was to relate to the fish in a good way so that they could know the difference between the good fishermen and the bad ones. Others 
felt that simply letting the fish know that they were nice, land-loving neighbors and how loving and kind they were was enough. After one stirring meeting, one of the fishermen, I'm sorry, after one stirring meeting on the necessity of fishing, one young fellow left the meeting and actually went fishing. The next day, he reported that he caught two outstanding fish. He was honored for his excellent catch and scheduled to visit all the big meetings possible to tell how he did it. So he quit his fishing in order to have the time to tell about the experience to the other fishermen. And he also was called, was placed on the fisherman's general board as a person having considerable experience in fishing. Now, it's true that many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every day. They received the ridicule of some who made fun of their fishermen headquarters or their fishermen clubs and the fact that they claimed to be fishermen yet never fished. They wondered about those who felt it was of little use to attend the weekly meetings to talk about fishing. After all, were they not following the master who said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men? Imagine how hurt some of them were one day when a person suggested that those who don't catch fish weren't really fishermen, no matter how much they claimed to be. Yet it did sound correct. Is a person a fisherman if year after year he never catches a fish? Is one following if he isn't fishing? That was written almost, almost 40 years ago, 40 or 50 years ago. It's funny, but it's also convicting because it still paints the picture of where we are in the church today. And today, really what we're going to talk about is this concept of how do we cultivate an evangel evangelistic discipline? This concept that God called us, the Great Commission, to go and make disciples. And if you have your Bibles, meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're already read the scriptures. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 19. And if you're a note taker, basically what I want you to do is verses between verses 16 and 19. Now, beside of that, I want you to write the word think big. Think big. In verses 20 to 22, I want you to write down the words act small. Act small. Verses 23, I want you to write down go deep. And then verses 24 to 27, I want you to write be disciplined. Be disciplined. Think big, act small, go deep, and be disciplined. Be disciplined. When we think about this concept of sharing our faith, many of us have turned the Great Commission into a mild suggestion. Jesus is the one who said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is how he sent out before he raises up and is ascended into the heaven. But not only there, we also see at the very beginning you know, of his, um, of, of his commission, he comes back and he tells his disciples about being, you will be my witnesses. Even very at the front end, Jesus says in the very call of his first disciples, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
All throughout the Bible, we see this narrative of Jesus saying that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Right here, Paul picks up this discipline and he tells us if we're going to cultivate evangelistic habits, we got to, one, we got to think big. We got to recognize that we have been commissioned. We are sent. He says, for if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast because I am compelled to preach. And then he goes on and says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Right? And right here, Paul recognizes that he, that he has nothing to brag or nothing to boast about when it comes to preaching the gospel. He says, because if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if unwilling, he still recognizes that I am entrusted with a commission. What does that word mean, to be entrusted? That word entrusted is where we get the same word, to be in debt. Some of your translations may say, to be in debt. What does Paul mean when he says to be in debt or to be entrusted with something? It's sort of like if I were to take out a $10 bill. This is what we had laying around. People don't use cash anymore. But if I had a $10 bill and if I were to say, hey, hey, Dimitri, come here, come here, come here for a minute, Dimitri. Dimitri, hey, can you give this $10 bill to my wife, Angie? Yes. All right. Dimitri said yes, and Demetrius is a good man, and he does it immediately, right? And this is ultimately what was going on here. Paul says, and I have been entrusted with this gospel. And so early on, he says that to recognize that I am in debt. In debt doesn't mean like Demetrius just simply owes me money, but I gave Dimitri $10, and until Dimitri gave that $10 to my wife, he was indebted to me. Paul says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel because I am entrusted. I am indebted to. You see, what Paul understood, and like Dimitri said, is that this was the very call of the believers. It's the very essence. It's the reason why we don't get saved and immediately get raptured up into the heavens. He leaves us here to be conduits of his grace messengers, ambassadors, reconcilers, that we are commissioned to go, that we are sent. We've grown up in churches and we've heard, yes, he can make the rocks cry out, he can make the trees, he can do all those things. But what we have embraced here in our church is that we believe that the gospel changes people and God has sovereignly chose to use people to change the world, that we are in debt. And he recognizes that this call, but this call is not just to one person, Dimitri was off the hook because he gave it to Angie. But what did Paul says? I am enslaved to all men. He goes on in verse 19, he says, although I am free from all, because the gospel makes us free, he says, and I'm not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone. That, the, that what he understood, Paul understood, was that he was indebted to all people. So where was Paul's call? Paul's call was both general and specific. We recognize that the apostle Paul was called specifically to go to take the gospel to the Gentiles. That there was a very specific call that he had on his heart. Right. But there was also a general call that Paul had that he said he was enslaved to all people. What did that look like? It looked like where if Paul was in a university town, guess who was coming to know the Lord or he was preaching the gospel to? University students. If Paul was shipwrecked, the other people on the 
on the boat. If Paul was in prison, the people in prison. You see, because Paul understood that he was indebted. He has been entrusted with a gospel that was to go to all men. So he says, although I was a slave, I'm free from all. I've made myself a slave. Why? Because I'm indebted. I've been entrusted with this gospel. Paul understood his commission. He thought big. He he understood that it was a message to all. But not only did Paul think big, but the way Paul acted, he acted small. In verse 20 to 22, he says this, to the Jews, I become like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, although myself is not under the law, to win those under the law. To those without the law, I become as one without the law, although that I have God's law. To the weak, I become weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might save some. Even though Paul understood that his goal was to reach all, one thing Paul also understood is that context matters. In him becoming all things to all men, that he thought big, but he acted small. He put himself in the context of the scenario in which he is. That he did a thing that we talk about in um, Christianity, called, or not even just in Christianity, but we talk about is contextualization. Contextualization is taking the truth of something in, a very, in, a, in a, the ability to apply it to a specific context, right? And there's three things that when we talk about thinking small or acting small in this concept of con- contextualization, the first thing is that you have to understand is that there's no such thing as an uncontextualized gospel, The gospel must be contextualized. If I were to go to China, I would either pray for the gift of tongues or I would pray for an interpreter so that whenever I'm communicating the gospel, they would hear it in their language. And so here we're preaching and communicating the gospel, assuming that we are speaking to predominantly English-speaking people. And so I'm contextualizing the gospel. And there's no such thing as an under-contextual or uh, a gospel, no such thing as a gospel that can't be contextualized. But the other thing that we got to realize is that even though we must contextualize the gospel, Paul also recognized is that we don't put our confidence in our ability to contextualize the gospel, right? Paul says, I become all things to all men so that only some are going to get saved. Paul has basically said that if you perfectly contextualize the gospel, this is still a supernatural act that is dependent upon God to bring people to himself. So we don't put our confidence in our ability to contextualize the gospel, but we still recognize that Paul has a sense of urgency in his contextualization, right? He doesn't just sit back. He goes He goes, he says to the weak, I become, in order to win the weak, I become all things to all people so that I may by all possible means save some. And what he's doing is that he brings it all together. And he says, even though I'm with the weak or even though I'm without the law, I still have the law of Christ. Even though I'm with those with the law, I got freedom in Christ. He never leaves who he is. He understands his identity as he is contextualizing the gospel to people. So Paul is thinking big, He's acting small, but he's also going deep. He's going deep. He says all these things. and He says, let me just give you my motivation by this. He says in verse 23, now I do all of this because of the gospel. Why? So that I might share in its blessings. John Piper makes a statement. He says, missions exist 
because worship doesn't. You see, that happens on two ways. Both we, The reason why we go on missions is because people need to understand what it's like to, to worship our God and our King. But see, but it's also a means of motivation. Oftentimes, we don't go on mission because our worship is not taking place and we're not compelled. Paul talks about, he says, I am compelled by the love of God. And not only is he compelled or controlled by the love of God, he also says the goal of my instruction is love. You see, the reality is, is that oftentimes we don't share the gospel and we're not doing the gospel is because we're not allowing the gospel to change us. So Paul says, he says, now I I do all of this because of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. My question to you, is the gospel still a blessing to you? And what are we doing to cultivate it in our hearts and in our minds? Right? You see, it's in evangelism is where all of the, the disciplines come together. We talked about what we've already hit. We said it's like we got to first start in sitting under God's word at the sword of the spirit, that the spirit that we, that we sit and we hear God's word. We talked about the concept of being able to communicate to God through prayer. Last week, we talked about worship. You see, it's in all of that. And when we come together and bring those together, that we take that experience. And it's like, it's such a grand experience. It's such a blessing to us that we desire to share that blessing with others. Right? And so we see that. So Paul talks about, he says, He tells us that it is about us sharing. Oftentimes, people have talked about, he says, never have someone share their faith. I'm sorry, never teach a person Bible without having them also share their faith. And there's a reason why. Because when you just teach a person Bible, there's a lot of arrogance that can come because we know Bible. Right. But when you share your faith and you go out to the common unbeliever or person who's not in the church, they don't care how much Bible, you know, that you can say all the Bible verses, do all the stuff. But unless God supernaturally moves on their heart, it doesn't impress them at all. And so what happens is, is that it puts us in a humble posture that it's not just about intellectualism and what we do. And learning about God. You see, what we have to realize is that evangelism is not just simply an overflow of your quiet time. Evangelism is your quiet time because you will meet God in ways in your sharing of your faith that you won't even meet him alone with your Bible. There's a new discipline. There's a new dependence that God has for you. And so we recognize that. So Paul is saying that if we want to cultivate these habits, we got to think big. We got to act small. We have to be dis. We have to. Um, what did I say? We have to go deep. Thank you. Amen. And then finally, we got to be disciplined. We got to be disciplined. Right. The goal. Paul says this. Don't you know that runners in a stadium all race? But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it in order to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable. 
I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, discipline my body and bring it under control, strict control, so that after preaching to others, I myself may not be disqualified. What does it mean to be disciplined? There's a couple of things. One, Paul tells us that we aim to win. When we're going out and sharing our faith, we're not just doing it just to do it. We're doing it because we want to see people to come to know Jesus. Missions exist because worship doesn't. We're not just going out to to, to, to make people feel guilty about their lifestyle. We're trying to get people to worship God. We want people to fall more in love with him. Just think about how much your evangelism, how much would change that if you just focused on two things, how much you fall in love with the Lord and, and helping others to fall in love with him. If that was your Christianity, was all about that, is sharing that, sharing in the blessing. And Paul says, I'm running in such a way in order to do this, right? There's a couple of different ways that I want to talk to you about and leave you with that we're going to talk about today. And we're going to even celebrate um, the story of someone actually receiving Jesus. There's a thing that we're doing over these next few weeks as we continue the spiritual disciplines. We're going to talk. We're talking today about evangelism. Tomorrow or next week, we're going to be talking about the service. We're going to talk about stewardship, right? We're going to talk about a variety of different things over these next few weeks. But a lot of this we got to recognize is falls under this banner that we call hospitality. The book of Romans talks about hospitality in a way that is very core to the gospel. If you were to take Romans, you would break it down in Romans chapter 1 through 11. It talks about how God receives us. Romans 12 to 16 talks about how we are to receive one another. Romans chapter 15 and 7 says it this way, and it's an outline of the whole book of Romans. He says, in the same way we receive Christ, receive one another. And ultimately what it's saying is that the same way God, the gospel welcomes us by grace through faith, welcomes us into his relationship with God is the same way we ought to receive one another. You see, what we are, what you are, what the church is, we are a tangible expression of the gospel that we provide a life and we provide spaces in order to do that. So for the next three weeks, we're going to have on our site, just like we've done um, in the month of January, we're going to talk about like, what are some hospitable rhythms that you could do? And in these hospitable rhythms, basically, it comes down to kind of four Ps. We're talking about we want you to pray, we want you to pursue, we want you to provide, and we want you to preach. Pray, pursue, provide and preach. What I want to do is give it to you in a way. Earlier, I started off with a couple of questions. I said, hey, how many of you right, would go out with me if we were just going to cold call, knock on doors, um, meet random people in the neighborhood and ask those two questions? Well, that's not what we're going to do. But what we are going to do is invite you to open up your lives and be hospitable. There's this thing called Jerusalem 5. Jerusalem 5 is a way that we have used in the past around this concept of disciple making. And all Jerusalem 5 is, is Jerusalem 5 is a, it comes from Acts chapter 1 and 8, where the Bible talks about, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So when we talk about Jerusalem, Jerusalem are simply the people that you live, you work, and you play with. 
the people that you interact with on a consistent basis that you normally interact with in life. And so in this three-week strategy, we're going to take those four Ps, and basically I want you to break them down using this Jerusalem 5 strategy. The first P is the idea of praying. All I want you to do is I want you to identify five people, five people to pray for this week. Everybody knows five people who does not know the Lord. And all I want you to do is identify those five people. Week two, we want you to pursue. We want you to reach out to the people. And all we want you to do when you reach out to the people, we want you to simply say, hey, I've been praying for you. Is there anything specifically that I can be praying for you about? That's week two, right? And then you just commit to pray. So now you're praying for these 10 people for 10 days, right? Week three, I want you to do, I want you to reach out. Again, said, hey, I wanted to follow up. I've been praying for you. How did it go, right? And then in week three, the last thing I want you to do is I simply want you to say, hey, would you mind me taking you out to lunch or coffee or whatever? And then when you, and if they say yes, whether it's in week three or week four, you open up your doors, you invite them for a meal, take them out to coffee, and you just simply ask them a couple of questions. It says, hey, tell me about your story. And then the next thing is, hey, can I share my story with you? And you share your testimony. And then in there, if God opens the door, you get a chance to share the gospel. That sounds a lot, like, lot more doable. I'm not asking you to go cold call, knock on doors. I'm just simply saying open up your life to people and let people know. Right? By praying for them. Sharing the blessing of what the gospel has been for you. And share that with others. Some of you may be saying, but Dahlia, I get it, but I don't understand. What is the gospel? Well, there's simply three circles. I'm not going to go over it right now in full. But if you want to know the gospel message, if you don't know, we've done it. Members know this in their church. We have these in city groups. We have them some today. There will be some in the missions counter or in the, at the Connect Center. But the gospel is simple. God has designed us to have relationship with him. But because of sin, sin separates us from him. And because that sin separates us, instead of the full design, the life and life more abundantly that Jesus promises, that gives us in in relationship with him, we spend most of our life living in brokenness. And we recognize the brokenness that we have. But Jesus says that if you would just repent and believe in the person and work of Jesus, that Christ came, died died for your sins, was buried, and three days was rose, that stop putting your confidence on trying to live better and be better, but simply put your confidence in him, that he can now recover and pursue that original design. And what is that original design? It's not just simply a better life, but what it is, it's a life in relationship with God. He says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. You see, that's the gospel. And that's our invitation to you. And that's the invitation that many of us can give to others. And my prayer is that over these next three weeks, that we as a church would give that invitation to people by just simply praying, pursuing, providing, and ultimately, um, I've lost it, and preaching. Amen. That's the most important thing, preaching. Thank you. I'm glad that you're here. So, Let's pray and ask the Lord. And we're going to give an opportunity for a couple of missionaries to come and give an opportunity for to hear some of the people who have taken on that call to pray. And then we're going to celebrate this with 
someone who has given their life in baptism. So let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to come before you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Father, I pray, Lord, that as you, Father, bring us to a saving knowledge of your son, that we would recognize that the gospel both changes our souls and that you use us to change others. So, Father, I pray as we embark over these next three weeks, we pray, God, that we would welcome people into our homes and into our lives so that, God, that we can welcome them to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.